Hello and welcome to our third episode of CypherVision, Calculating the Return on Investment for Patents. I'm Nigel Schweitzer, CEO at Cypher and joined today by my co-host Francesca Lavoie. Hi Nigel, how are you? I'm good. I'm delighted that Jonathan Liu, head of patent analytics at Facebook, uh, decided to join us. He's also the patent portfolio manager for AI technologies. So a match made in heaven, cypher.ai. And, and Jonathan, who knows a thing or two about how to protect valuable investment in artificial intelligence. Hi, Nigel. Hi, Francesca. Thanks for having me. Hi, John. It's great to have you here. And I'm wondering if we can kick off with you giving us a little bit of detail about your background for our listeners. And, and tell us when you first got interested in data. Sure. I was an engineer in college focused on computer science. And I've always been interested in data just as an engineering student. After college, I went to law school and then worked at a law firm prosecuting patents. I always wanted to start a company with some friends from college. And so I left the law firm, had to leave before my career got too far underway before we decided we couldn't do it anymore. And so started a data analytics startup where we helped non-technical folks better understand their data. Wow. And from there, you went to Facebook, I assume. Yes. So when you first got to Facebook, what was your first impression of how data and analytics were used to inform patent strategy? Yeah, that was actually one of my first questions when I joined the team is how we justified our cost of the business. So what I found was that we had a reactive approach to things. And it's not uncommon because Facebook at the time was just a small growing company with a very small team. And how we handle things was to just react to what the business needed. And so there wasn't a systematic, repeatable, evidence-based way of approaching things. And so my first impression was it's just a fire drill putting out fires, and and that's what we focused on. Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure to collaborate with you and Jeremiah Chan on our recent report about calculating the return on investment from patents. It's titled Pulling Back the Curtain. Why the illusion to the Wizard of Oz? So patent law is oftentimes treated like a black box where we tell our clients to rely on our experience when we make decisions. And we say it's a very deeply specialized area and that they should simply trust us. And so as my career started, I learned from many folks in the industry, many of the strategies companies took were at least a little bit backed by data, much like when Dorothy starts out on her journey on the yellow brick road. But as I worked more deeply in those areas and I started to pull back the curtain, I found that most strategies were driven by anecdotes or personal experiences from leaders, kind of one-off situations. And it wasn't exactly a holistic approach of what I thought was a rapidly changing business environment. I think personal experiences are important. I do think they should always be checked with data that's available. And that's why I wanted to work on leveraging all the available data out there to make more informed decisions for our team. And John, thinking about return on investment, it's such a foundational metric for so many parts of the business. When you're thinking about the relationship between the investment that you're putting in and the benefit that you derive from that investment, it's kind of hard to imagine an area of the business that wouldn't have to demonstrate their return on investment to compete for the rare resources that you've got within a business. So why do you think investments in patents hasn't had the same amount of scrutiny? I think eventually it will reach a higher level of scrutiny depending on the stage of your business. Because if you think of the company at an early stage, for many founders, there's a simple human, foundational, emotional desire to protect what they've invented. You know, it's their baby. They want to make sure that others can't just copy it. 
it's almost a default stance that many new founders and recurring founders go through. So companies want to protect their intellectual property as they grow. They don't think too much about whether it's worth it. They just believe that it's worth it. Then at a future stage of the company, when the company becomes more mature and there are more processes and finance gets involved, then a sophisticated GC might consider a very basic ROI calculation. And GCs may not be patent experts, right? They're generally experts in other fields, corporate, M&A, companies, IPO, or some other non-patent field usually. And so they just know about the few litigation outcomes they've heard in the news, or they ask some of their friends, and they do a basic calculation as to the largest patent outcomes over the 10 years and make a general math math extrapolation as to how much money they may need to spend at a certain department to reduce the largest amount of risk. And then they come up with how much they should spend in patents. But even then, you know, these outcomes are so few and far between, they're subject to distributions which means very few patents end up being subject to licensing litigation. And yet there's all this data out there about what different types of patents there are, who owns them, and what they might cover. And so you could have a much more precise calculation as to how much you actually need to achieve your patent strategy. So that's the way that I think about why it may not yet be as sophisticated as other parts of the business. But Nigel, I'm very curious as to your thoughts since you work with many companies on this as well. That's a really good question. I need to admit, But until you guys came to us with the idea, I hadn't given the metric a great deal of thought. As you know, we've been working on optimization and risk metrics for years, which are all economic calculations. And I thought they were well suited to IP teams. But bearing in mind the basic theme around the cipher providing evidence to tell stories, you've got to empathize with the people listening to those stories. And if they're so familiar with ROI, it seems a very logical, and natural step to adopt exactly the calculation that they've been using. So I think the idea is sheer genius, but it's easier to it's easy to see that if you haven't done it, you might come up with new metrics that are useful rather than going to a perfectly viable go-to metric like return on investment. And John, thinking about return on investment and using data to calculate it, I'm pleased to see that your job title is Head of Patent Analytics at Facebook. So I'm hoping that means that times are changing or have changed. What do you think has led to these changes? And do you see a difference in terms of the decisions that are being made now? I think change has come as Facebook has grown. So in-house legal is always seen as a cost center. And if the legal managers believe that it's possible for data to paint a more precise picture, then we can invest resources in getting there because it does require internal tooling to capture all the data needed to even make an ROI calculation. And there are also a couple other factors that are adjusting, moving, and shifting that all sort of align that has led to these developments. So one thing is legal is generally just slower in adopting tech than any other business unit. And Facebook legal itself internally has just over time become much more comfortable with adopting tech, even though, you know, our business teams have long since relied on data and adopted various internal tools and tech since the very beginning. And at the same time, patent data has been slowly becoming easier to collect over the past few years as more tools and companies are tackling problems in the space. And so that's a big part as well. None of this is possible without data. So all of these factors kind of are sort of moving in the right direction where legal teams can now more easily invest in tools that collect the data so that we can calculate this ROI. And I just want to ask, 
Nigel a question here, because I think what you mentioned there, John, is you're talking about leadership, and you're talking about data, and you're talking about communication. And almost those three pillars there are an interesting combination. And I'm just keen to hear, Nigel, what your experience is having worked with so many companies over the last couple of years in their IP departments. That's an interesting trilogy, data, leadership, communication. I've never put those three together, but it makes perfect sense. As John said, you can't do any of the calculations we're talking about without access to data. And I definitely think both the actions by the patent offices and the, the actions by companies like Cypher to apply machine learning to the analysis of data just makes it more trusted, makes it more available. Frankly, it just makes it cheaper to get hold of. But I don't want to underestimate that leadership point. I think the intellectual property world is going through a seismic change. John, head of patent analytics at Facebook, that job probably didn't even exist five years ago. It's a relatively recent occurrence that data is becoming embedded in the infrastructure. I mentioned Jeremiah earlier, the head of the team, head of John's team at Facebook, previously at Google. He, in the last sort of eight years, was the first person to hire a data scientist at Google into the patent team. So I think this leadership encouraging adoption is important. And as for communication, I think that pretty much all of the podcast series we've done so far, so important that the intellectual property teams, the patent teams, don't value isolation, don't regard that silo mentality to have any benefit to them. If they want budget, if they want to be respected, if they want not to be regarded as a cost center, then that communication layer is, I believe, vital. Thank you, Nigel. I guess thinking about that data and that communication, let's return to some of the details around return on investment and calculating that. Let's start with the investment part. That seems pretty straightforward to figure out. How much does an organization spend on its patent portfolio? But what would you say, John, are the issues or complications that you think people listening to this podcast should be aware of? You're right. Knowing how much you spend on your patent portfolio is a simple number, but knowing one level deeper would be extremely helpful to set up your company so that you can act on the ROI information. Yeah. So the key thing to know is the investment, where you're spending your money. So one number you just need to know is what is your patent budget for the year, how much you're spending. And that should include all of the patent filings, prosecution, acquisitions, and licenses. And ideally, if you are able to, also just know in which tech areas you're filing your patents. And that's really what you need to measure investment. Are you spending money on other internal tools like patent IP management systems or maintenance fees? So all of these different vectors for spending money, you have to first be able to measure a comprehensive view of your investment before actually calculating the ROI. And a big metric that lots of folks are wondering is how much does it cost for us to get a case that we can use against our patent threats. And knowing how much that is would indicate whether you're investing in the right areas in prosecution. Is it cheaper to get it through prosecution or through acquisitions or through licenses, that type of thing? Probably also worth jumping in there with the benefits of tools and platforms that calculate cost. I know invoicing systems in patent teams that have been around for 10 years or more can find it really hard to track the overall investment. Remember, on the investment side of the equation, you're looking for the aggregate cost 
of how much did you spend building up the portfolio. And your 2021 portfolio is the rolled up cost of building your portfolio over a number of years. But let's just assume that's the easier part of the calculation. What about the benefit? How do you go about calculating the return element of the equation? Yeah, the benefit is much, I think, is more complicated. And the benefit depends on the type of strategy that your company adopts. If you have an offensively based strategy, which means your goal is to acquire patents or file for patents and then find companies that infringe and you extract licensing or damages from them, that's quite simple if that's your strategy. Most growing operating companies these days take on a defensive patent strategy which means they file patents for in case they get sued by others. So they file patents so they're ready in for counterassertion, or they file patents to have a deterrence effect so that others just won't sue them. And their whole goal is to maintain a patent portfolio so that their business can freely operate or freely act on their business goals, right? They're not going to go offensively sue somebody. The benefit of having a portfolio would be that it actually increases the valuation of your company in addition to the normal defensive benefits that I mentioned about deterrence and counter-assertion readiness. What I really like, John, about the way you frame that is that it acts as a forcing function to articulate both your strategy, which isn't the same for every company. ROI is going to be different depending on what your strategy is. And it also takes the active conscious, rational steps to establish whether your portfolio is performing against those goals. And if you can't explain the benefit, if you can't calculate uh, that return, then I think there's a hole in your strategy. Definitely some interesting discussions around how we go about calculating ROI. Once we've got our ROI calculation, whether that be across the whole portfolio or across a part of the patent portfolio, How do you actually use it in practice, John, to inform any patent strategy? So anyone listening, how are they going to physically use this calculation? Right. So there's some high-level things you can do and more granular-level things that you can do. So one thing you can do is use it to speak with the business, with finance or with executives to say, oh, this is actually how we calculated a return on investment on the budget you gave me last year. Uh, This is why we need more or less budget going forward for the patent portfolio. That's kind of at the high level. At the lower levels on the patent team side, the patent team can actually look at lower level ROIs. For example, the ROI in a certain tech area may be higher than other tech areas, and they can reallocate their filing patent filings to more optimally get a higher ROI by shifting filing allocations to different tech areas, or they can decide to you know, start purchasing or licensing patents instead of filing organic assets potentially based off of these ROI calculations. So you become a better deployer of capital. To that extent, John, would you think that the ROI is more of a gathering exercise? Many of those activities, whether it be budget or filing allocation or whether to go and purchase patents, They've all been individual business decisions that have been made for many years. So to that extent, would you think it is just a gathering function? You do gather the ROI, but in the past, we've made these decisions based off of, I would say, personal hunches, experience as to what is best without really visibility into what's actually happening. 
the ROI calculation gives you more objective data as to how your decisions have been performing in the past and allows you to optimize not only using your experience, but also with the data that's out there. It's interesting talking about how people had hunches and using that going forward. Our last podcast, we talked about using data to tell stories and using those stories as a communication vehicle to the rest of the business because they're memorable, because they will make sense to the business. Would an ROI calculation on your patent portfolio, would it perform the same storytelling objective? Absolutely. I've yet to meet a business team that would rather not look at data that's available to them. It's a clear next step, I would say, in the evolution of serving the business in a more transparent way. And listening to this approach around return on investment, it really reminds me around the developments that have happened in the marketing sphere with marketing metrics over the last 10 years or so. You always require some kind of assumptions when you're making these calculations, but they do provide a level of discipline and transparency that is essential because you are asking for a huge investment, whether that be in advertising or whatever you want to do with that money. And you need to show that you can get a return or a benefit back from it. So in terms of investment in patents, do you think that patent teams are comfortable in adopting this approach? Do you see any sort of roadblocks for them? Yeah, so I would say we're getting there. The hardest part is getting buy-in that there's a better way of doing things. So first, I would say lawyers are very risk averse and they need to get a little bit more comfortable with understanding probabilities instead of just minimizing risk all the time. And as our friends Richardson Oliver like to say, at the end of the day, all models are wrong and some are useful. And so you can always argue that certain factors should be considered right or wrong. But directionally, if you have a robust enough approach for ROI, then you should consider it not as a cure-all model that answers all questions, but something that you should weigh to verify what you're seeing on the ground with your personal experience. And another parallel part of that is having the right tooling that's focused on solving the problems that patent teams deal with every day. Because if the tools are optimized for the use cases of the in-house folks, then more more in-house folks would use them. So as we share approach, as we talk transparently about all of the objective-based metrics we're taking into account, and they start to understand why certain factors are in place and how certain factors basically account for what real-world scenario would happen, then I think we'll start to see some progress. That's very encouraging, John. And thank you for that, that sort of guided tour of return on investment, a topic that will be new to many of our listeners, but one which seems to go and offer great potential. Could you sort of summarize for the listeners your cipher vision, your key takeaway? Yeah. So I would say people worry that AI will take over the world and destroy millions of jobs. And that may happen. I'm not sure. But I would say what's more realistic is that humans will be working hand in hand with AI to bring the world into the next generation. So in patents, when you calculate the ROI, a fundamental question, in my opinion, for any team, it's possible to use the combination of your personal experience as lawyers with new AI tools to come to a better answer than what we've been doing in the past. That's great, John. ROI, return on investments, a core business metric. And it's been around way before AI and ML became mainstream. It's applied to all business areas. 
in a world where there's over $40 billion spent every year and investing in patent portfolios, you can't escape that requirement to justify both the spend on patent portfolios and also to recognize the reality that you're competing for scarce resources. So I'm delighted for the encouragement, John and Jeremiah Chan, of course, for encouraging us to look at this business metric. And I'm positive and hopeful that this will move the dial to increase that communication between patent teams and the business. Thank you for tuning in to the CypherVision podcast series. Please continue the conversation on social using hashtag CypherVision and share your thoughts about calculating the return of investment on patents. Our next episode is called Capitalism Without Capital, and our guest will be Jonathan Haskell, economist and author of the book, 